Early last week, I sent a text to my clergy colleague group saying I would be preaching on the Decalogue, which is one way of saying the Ten Commandments. And one of my colleagues responded with a picture of a deck of logs. (laughs) And along those same lines, um, I know we shouldn't laugh during Lent on the Ten Commandments. You probably have, we all have baggage with the Ten Commandments. And so I've thought about, actually during this reading, the fact that the only commandment my parents ever quoted to me growing up was honor your father and your mother. (laughs) And they always said that your days may be long on the earth. They really emphasize that last part of the commandment, that your days may be long on the earth. Throughout history, the Ten Commandments has been the punchline of jokes, the subject of fanciful Hollywood films, namely the one with Charlton Heston as Moses, and the center of controversy of various groups' fights over displays of religious imagery on publicly funded land. Before the Ten Commandments was the lightning rod it is today, it was an ethical and communal vision handed over to a fledgling community of formerly enslaved people, not simply an arbitrary list of rules composed to make us feel ashamed for the ways that we exploit ourselves, each other, or God. The Exodus text has a curious reminder from its outset. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of enslavement. Over the past three weeks in Lent, we have heard three separate but related accounts of God's faithfulness. First to Noah and his family in the ark. Then to Sarah and her family. And now to their descendants, the people of Israel. For some 400 years, the descendants of Jacob, who was nicknamed Israel, toiled under the oppressive regimes of the pharaohs. The book of Exodus begins with, by saying that Israel's oppression in Egypt was rooted in the amnesia of a pharaoh who did not remember Joseph the ancestor of the Israelites, who as an, Egypt, as an Egyptian government official caused the nation to flourish. And you might remember this story from the latter part of the book of Genesis. Institutional amnesia mutated into institutional oppression, which then mutated into institutional commodification. The reduction of the Israelites to nothing more than property to be owned, labor to be exploited, and a people to be dehumanized. Through a series of plagues and signs attributed to Israel's God, liberation from Pharaoh's tyrannical rule was slowly realized. By the time we meet this ragtag band of recently freed people, they are in the middle of the wilderness ambivalent about their newfound freedom. As a priest and as a person, I hear story after story from people who have been weighed down either by disease, abuse, 
or some other millstone who then suddenly find themselves in remission or free from that abusive relationship or forgiven of an insurmountable debt. And the question people often are left with when they realize they aren't going to die from that particular disease or be stuck in a cycle of abuse is what do I do now that I'm free? Now that I've left that person or community that was holding me back, what do I do now that I've reached this surprising chapter in my life? That is where the people of Israel find themselves in their narrative of liberation and wilderness wandering. What do we do and where do we go now that we are no longer enslaved by a dehumanizing regime preoccupied with productivity and domination? If the Ten Commandments is anything, it is a social vision of gentleness, rest, and compassion that emerges in response to the exploitative economy of Pharaoh. It is a hint of a world put to rights by a loving and liberating God. Which is why the Sabbath command comes as no surprise. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but rested the seventh day. Pharaoh might have demanded nonstop, back-breaking, soul-suppressing labor every day of every week. But the God of the exodus, the God of the oppressed and the marginalized and the forgotten and forsaken, this God is more concerned with Israel's humanity than with its productivity. In the wilderness, God reminds Israel of the origins of the world and creation itself. Taking them back to those formative Genesis narratives. Recalling for them not only God's rhythm of work and rest, but the gift of rest and work that is theirs by virtue of God's chain-breaking power. No longer will you be defined by what you make or how fast you make it, God says in this commandment. From now on, you will be defined by your restored humanity, your reclaimed dignity. According to theologian Walter Brueggemann, Israel rests because God rests. This God is not a workaholic. God has no need to be more secure, more sufficient, more in control, or more noticed. It is ordained in the very fabric of creation that the world is not a place of endless productivity or ambition, end quote. In other words, we were made to work and rest, to work and play, to be human, not to return emails on our days off. I'm preaching to myself. to neglect taking vacation and mental health days when possible. Rest can wait, we foolishly say, as we run ourselves into the ground. 
There is in the Sabbath command an invitation to take in the God who is closer than our next breath. The God who offers Israel and by extension us an alternative to Pharaoh's way of running the world. And it may very well be wisest for us to read the nine other commands through the lens of the Sabbath command. To see that when Israel is told to put no other gods before the living God, to refrain from making idols, to abstain from desecrating God's name, to honor parents, to avoid murder, adultery, theft, lying, and covetousness, that they are being who and whose they are. That they no longer belong to brutal rulers who see them as nothing more than cogs in a machine of imperial death, but belong to a creator who cherishes them beyond their knowing, who wants nothing less than their full and decisive freedom. The healing of creation and of our lives as creatures of God, Brueggemann goes on to say, requires a disengagement from the dominant systems of power and wealth. It is appropriate that the people of God be reminded in the midst of this season of Lent of God's first promises to Israel and to us. That we drink deeply from the events and stories of our common liberation. That we hear afresh God's saving deeds throughout history. That in a culture of workaholics and overachievers, we be brought back to a humane vision of our common life. That in a culture where people are valued only for what they contribute economically, we can stare people in the eyes and say with all honesty and sincerity, you are more than what you produce. You are more than what you produce. You deserve rest. You deserve to not be stolen from, not to be cheated. You deserve to live. You deserve life. 